The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to episode 83 of Parking the Bus Championship Day Decision Day Edition, Sunday night edition of Parking the Bus here on the PTB Media Network. I'm your host, Mr. Mike Agustinu. How are y'all doing tonight? I hope you enjoyed the football as much as I did today. Today was an absolutely historic day in football, especially in England and in Italy, as it was decision day. And that's going to be our focus for the next hour here on the show. Before I get into that, a few things I do want to say, okay? I know fans of MLS, I've got an episode coming for you, okay? I know a lot of matches were played yesterday and today. Every team in action pretty much this week in the the weekend space. And um, I am going to get to that, okay? So I have not forgotten Major League Soccer. Liga Emekis, that match last night... Between Atlas and Tigres was exactly everything I love about Liga Emekis. I talked about it on the show when I was live before the match last night. I said that in 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 Liga Emekis, anything can happen in these second legs. Atlas took a three nil aggregate lead into the match. They even scored first, and somehow Tigres came fighting all the way back, only let it. Slip away in the closing minutes. Tomorrow, that's probably going to be Monday's topic on the show. Um, I think that's what I'm going to be talking about on Monday is the two Liga Emekis semifinal for, uh, second legs, and I may squeeze MLS into that episode depending on time constraints. Um, Tuesday, I will probably be back with a Brasileirão uh, update on again. Matches taken on all all over the the Brasileiro this weekend, and um, another thing I love about that league, nobody ever gets too far ahead in the league. Um, you know, it's not easy to get points in the Brasileiro. I'll cover that too later this week, and of course, coming up this week we have the Europa Conference Final, the first ever Europa Conference Final. Roma taking on Feyenoord Wednesday night. That'll be what I'm talking about after the match. It'll be much like the Europa League final last week. Okay, so I think I've gotten to everything. There's a few things. The Kylian Mbappe thing I'm not going to hit on tonight, okay? Um, I will get to that at some point. I do have opinions on that, and I will get to that. Also, um, I spoke about a little bit yesterday about the UEFA Women's Champions League final and what a match, and, and specifically what a first half that was. And I'm working on that one, too. That'll come to you at some point this week as well. A good recap, a concise recap where I'll, I'll go through the in and outs of that match. And I'll talk about a little bit about what I think it means for the growth of the game, for the growth of the women's game in Europe. And at some point, I'll talk about what I think, um, why I think, and I think I've said this before, but why I think the women's game is going to begin to separate itself in Europe from for example, the NWSL, okay? Um, I think the fact that the big clubs are behind the game in Europe is a big reason why you're going to see European women's football on the club level start to pull away from North American club football. Um, and you're going to start to see more money injected into the European game. And unfortunately, because of the way that they've structured their league, NWSL will never be able to compete with brands like Barcelona, like Olympique Lyon, like Juventus, like Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United, Real Madrid. The biggest brands in the world are putting their money in women's football. I'm sorry, that's just... How is a North Carolina courage to to 
compete with that by you know on a on a global scale. I think they've handcuffed themselves. At some point, I will get into that. But let's get into the meat of today's episode because again, we've got an hour to go and there's a lot to hit on. I hope everybody enjoyed this. I enjoyed this immensely today. I am exhausted. I'm not gonna lie. I am exhausted. I watched probably about six. Six to eight hours of football today. If you count my son's U6 match, I watched another hour on top of that because he played bright and early this morning and I was there watching him play. It's just uh, a lot of football, but this is what we love this sport for. Days like today, and I tell this to people all the time, is what sets this sport aside from the rest. You start the day off, okay, with with a title challenge right you know, two matches going on simultaneously. And if you're a supporter of Liverpool, or if like me, you had money on Liverpool to win the title. I had put a future bet down a month and a half ago. I thought Liverpool were going to get it done. And I thought today they were going to get it. When City were down 2-0, all Liverpool. And I'm going to go, I'm going to come from here today believing in my heart and in my mind that had Liverpool pulled ahead, for the head of Wolves, while City were 2-0 down, the vibes that would have gone around the Itihad, I think, would have buried Manchester City because Pep nearly did it again. Let's start there, then. Let's start there. But if you're a fan of Liverpool, you have to feel this one slipped away. Those two points you dropped to Tottenham ended up being the difference in this one. Everything else lined up perfectly for Liverpool. But those two points against Tottenham, in the end... Ended up being the difference. And this Liverpool team looks a bit fatigued. I'm not going to lie. Um, from a betting standpoint, next week's final against Real Madrid is going to be a good day for me. Either way, I have futures on both teams. Where I'm going to go on game day, I don't know. But I've got futures to cash in on whoever wins, which is good. Um, so I'm looking forward. I'm playing with house money next next Saturday. But otherwise, um, my confidence in Liverpool is is waning because... They seem to really be slowing down as they get to the finish line. Uh, they struggled again today, fell behind early. You, you're not going to be allowed to do that against Real Madrid. Okay, You're not going to be allowed to fall behind early against Real Madrid in the Champions League final. They go down early to Wolves today. And, um, you know, had that not happened, who knows? Maybe when Chelsea fall, uh, when, sorry, City fall behind, had Liverpool been winning, who knows? They could have, these things all work themselves into the story this is what makes this sport better than the rest they don't just play each other through a playoff system okay well, I, yes i'm big on on liga mechis and you know i'm covering it their playoffs uh, but the drama of the liga mechis playoffs no matter how exciting it can be can never match the final day of a league when everyone's playing at the same exact time and there are so many storylines still to be decided the relegation battle was epic today as well in both the Premier League and in Serie A. And Serie A, <laughs> someone tweeted out today. Uh, I forget who did this, but it was on my feed. Someone said, Serie A did it right. Championship match in the afternoon or championship uh, battle. Simul two simultaneous matches in the late afternoon, leaving time for the championship celebration while... The relegation matches closed out the season tonight. And he's this person said, EPL, take note. I don't know what I like better. I don't know. It's pretty fun when there's 10 matches going on simultaneously. It's a little tough to keep up with all of them. I had five screens going. Okay. I had five screens going. I was wa at one time. I was watching Liverpool Wolves. I was watching. I was watching the. The Gold Rush show, whatever it's called on, on uh, NBC Sports, on Peacock. Uh, it's not the Goal Zone, but the Gold Rush, I think they call it. Um, where they were going from stadium to stadium showing everything. I was watching Leeds on one device, Leeds versus Brentford. I was rooting incredibly hard for Jesse Marsh today, as I have all since he's been there. And as I did when he was at, at Leipzig, um, very happy for Jesse Marsh. I was then, well, and then I, I had AC Milan on one laptop and I had Inter on another. It, I hit my, um, I, I hit my maximum, my maximum viewership or whatever they call it, maximum amount of 
of devices for Fubo TV and for Paramount Plus today to watch all of these matches and try to keep up with it as best I can. Here we go. Let's get into it. I've wasted enough time going on and on about this. Uh, we start in the Premier League. So, um, in a match that ended up meaning nothing because Everton saved themselves on Thursday. We didn't get to it this week, but Everton picking up a, a massive victory on Thursday, winning and keeping themselves up. And, and there's been a reoccurring theme in England since uh, earlier this week. It started at not with Nottingham Forest pitch invasions. This is the new thing now. And I'm not anti-pitch invasions, but when you have supporters rushing the pitch and attacking, assaulting, Opposing players. It happened at Nottingham during the week. It happened on Thursday at Everton. Okay, they rushed the pitch. Everton beats Crystal Palace. And I think by now we've all seen the videos tweeted of Patrick Vieira, uh, Crystal Palace's manager, ending up, you know, throwing <laughs> throwing some, some good jabs and leg kicks at one of the supporters. But you know what? The... You're ruining it for everybody, Pitch Invaders. You are ruining it for everybody. Go celebrate with your team. Celebrate. Climb the, the, the goal if you want. Celebrate on the pitch all you want. Leave the other team alone. You're creating a security nightmare. And I don't know how well thought through this was for Patrick Vieira either. Because if you've got 30,000 Evertonians on the pitch and you start to throw kicks at one of them, you have a good chance of be, uh, of all the other ones around there jumping in to defend that guy. And who knows what could have happened to Patrick Vieira in this one. Um, I don't know. Charges will probably be filed. I think I wouldn't be surprised if this fan, in even though this fan was in his face, was taunting him, um, probably touched him first. I, would, I don't know. I don't remember exactly what I saw in that regard. But Patrick Vieira... Ends up literally, he looks like Anderson Silva there. Will <laughs> throwing kicks and, and punches at this at this supporter and uh, getting himself off the pitch. It happened there. It happened again today at the Etihad. There's scenes of Villa's goalkeeper getting assaulted by by City fans. This cannot happen. Now I know stadiums were empty for two years, almost two years. I know fans were separated, supporters separated from their clubs. And clearly, stadiums have cut back on security. Okay, clearly, stadiums have cut back on security. And I can see from what I'm seeing that at least in the UK, and we saw a pitch invasion in Germany last week and at Stuttgart. We saw them um, avoid relegation. We saw the pitch invasion there too. We didn't see any kind of problems with it though. We just saw, we didn't see the players running for the gates either. We saw the players celebrating with their fans. Looks like they have a much more controlled culture of pitch invading in Germany. But in England this week, it has been all negative. And like I said, they're ruining it for everybody. Because it's only a matter of time until you have a very avoidable tragedy take place on an English pitch in a stadium. And this is a country in England that is very familiar with football tragedies and stadiums. I think that, you know, clearly the clubs have cut back on security. And clearly in the U.K., there, this is where I can, from what I'm seeing, it's, I don't know for sure, I don't know the laws for sure, but from what I'm seeing, that in the UK, unlike here in the United States, this is not a police matter when supporters go onto the pitch. Here in the United States, in stadiums in the United States, security is responsible for the, the seats, the stadium itself. Once you leave your seat and you come onto the field of play, onto the pitch, onto the court, wherever... It's no longer security is not going to be the ones that are going to try to keep you. It becomes a police matter and you get arrested. I'm not saying you're going to arrest 50,000 Manchester City fans for invading the pitch. That but but they have to come up with the solution cuz this cannot happen again and I'm not anti-pitch invading at all. I'm not anti-fun. I'm not, I I love it. But you cannot have assaults taking place on the field of play, this is a page back to darker times in football, particularly in the UK, a country that has done a fantastic job in the past 30 years of cleaning this up and cleaning this out of the game. They've worked so hard to make English football a safe place to go and enjoy yourself without the fear of being beaten up 
by hooligans without the fear of being, you know, jumped, of being whatever. And now, you know, this week has been a very bad week in that regard for English football in terms of stadium security because pitch invasions, uh, and I think some of this is a copycat thing. They see it in Germany, then they do it at Nottingham. It gets the idea in people's head, and we see the invasion today at at uh, at the city, at the, the Etihad. We also saw it in Sassuolo. We saw AC Milan fans rush the pitch and then go back into the stadium for the for the for the trophy celebration. We saw Salernitana fans rush the pitch. Congratulations to Salernitana. They are staying up despite losing 4-0. And another reason why football is great. Where else can you lose 4-0 and celebrate like you just won the championship? Because you know what? Salernitana got it done. Not today, but in the past six weeks. Their form at the end of the season saved them. Today they weren't there. But they were rewarded. Okay, they got lucky today, but they were rewarded. Um, they they owe Venezia a, a couple bottles of champagne. They owe Venezia, uh, you know, they owe them something, a favor, because Venezia, despite being last place and already being relegated, came out today, defended like their lives depended on it, and kept Cagliari off of the board, keeping Salernitana, up in the Serie A. Okay, starting with the Premier League. Okay, some of the matches that didn't have the same consequences. Okay, Arsenal at home to Everton. Going back to where I said this match that ended up not meaning a lot because Arsenal were hoping for help from, you know, hopeless Norwich City. Obviously, it didn't happen. Arsenal went 5-1 against Everton today at the em at the Etihad. Sorry, at the, um, the Emirates today. Um, at the Emirates in London, Arsenal win 5-1. They finish in fifth, going to the Europa League. Uh, Brighton pull off a win today. Um, they went 3-1 at home to West Ham, dropping West Ham or keeping West Ham in seventh place. West Ham, or sixth place, excuse me. West Ham will go, did I say fifth, sixth, seventh place for West Ham. West Ham will go to the Europa Conference next season. And I'm going to be one of the first to say here, West Ham. West Ham are going to be my favorites to, to win the Europa Conference next season. Uh, along with Villarreal. Villarreal of Spain will also be in the Europa Conference. So I'm looking at those two teams next year as favorites. Uh, we'll see when we get there, but it, depending what happens. Okay. Uh, Chelsea at home to Watford in a match with no consequences. Chelsea already in second place. Watford already relegated. 2-1 victory for the Blues. They finish out the season. Uh, Crystal Palace beat Manchester United at Selhurst Park. And uh, they close out the season in a match where, um, well, sums it up for Manchester United. Cristiano Ronaldo did not play today, which I think is wonderful because now he'll be rested and healthy for Portugal at the Nations League in a, in a couple weeks. And even more so, he he's going to play in the national team, which will get him closer to that 200 cap mark that I am so rooting for right now. I want to see him get to 200 caps. He's within like 14, 15 caps of it. So um, he was rested today. As a result, Palace win um, ends up not having any consequence. United finished sixth. That's where they started the day because West Ham lost. Uh, they are not punished. They'll go to Europa League and not to Europa Conference. Uh, Leicester, 4-1 winners over Southampton. And then... Uh, Tottenham, like I said, they close out fifth, uh, fourth place, getting the final Champions League spot, winning 5-0, 5-0 at Carroll Road against Norwich City, and I'll talk about this one for just a minute. What a job done by Antonio Conte when he came in, and from so low in the table, Tottenham now are headed to the back to the Champions League. They got two goals from Sun in this one, two from Kubaleski, and one from Harry Kane. Sun, joint golden boot winner, along with Mohamed Salah. I'll get to Mo Salah's goal in a few minutes. Um, but I like this in England. They finish as co. It looks like from everything I'm reading, they're going to finish as cold co uh, golden boot winners. It's worth noting, though, that Sun scored the same amount of goals. I think it was 22 goals. He scored, same as Salah. Salah, however, scored five from the penalty spot. Sun did not score any from the penalty spot. 
I think that should be the tiebreaker. But in England, I don't think there is a tiebreaker. So they're both going to win the Golden Boot. Congratulations to both of them. All right, let's get into the matches that had the consequence. Okay, I'm going to try to do this chronologically as I remember it. Um, I haven't had time to sit down and write down everything today. Uh, some of you are wondering where my preview show was this morning. Sorry about that. I totally intended to wake up early and record it and release it at 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock is when my son was playing. Luckily, his game was uh, was three minutes away from my house. So I was home five minutes after 11 uh, and, and was able to watch the Premier League, which started at 11 o'clock Eastern time. But what happened was I didn't wake up this morning. Okay, I didn't wake up. I was unable to record that. So there was no morning preview today. But I don't think you all needed it. I think everybody knows what's going on. And um, I think everyone was ready for this. So it was Wolves versus Liverpool. Uh, these are the matches I'm going to be talking about here. The four major ones. Wolves at Liverpool. Burnley hosting Newcastle. Brentford hosting Leeds. And Manchester City hosting Aston Villa. Okay. Uh, let's go to the lineups. I'll start with the, the two teams going for the title. I'll start with City versus Aston Villa. And I will bring you the lineups in those two matches. Okay. And starting for Villa, we'll start with them. Uh, for manager Steven Gerrard, who was trying, you know, the story coming into this all day was do it for Liverpool, Stevie G. Do it for your former club. Also, Philippe Coutinho, also in that, in this uh, Aston Villa side and hoping as if that's extra motivation. Maybe it is for these two. It's not going to be extra motivation for the rest of the team. But you know what? These guys are professionals. They want to beat the chance to spoil someone's championship dreams is always motivation. I've been in that situation as a player and as a coach. You go into a game and you have a chance to steal somebody's title. Well, then, you know, um, that's all. If you, if you don't get up for that, you don't belong playing this or any sport. This is what we play for. This is competition. The chance to make a difference, to have a direct influence in the final result. So, Villa comes out. Robin Olsen is the goalkeeper. Uh, they're playing 4-3-2-1. Matty Cash, the right back. Callum Chambers and Tyrone Mings, the center back pairing with Lucas Digne, Digne to the left. He's the left back. Three in midfield. Douglas Luiz in the hole as the number six is the anchor in midfield. John McGinn to his right. Jacob Ramsey to his left. Two attacking midfielders in a front three, a triangle front three, a 2-1 triangle, if you will. Uh, Emil Emiliano Buendia is on one side, Philippe Coutinho to the other, and they're playing behind the very talented striker, Ollie Watkins. Ollie Watkins, of course, the former Brentford star in the championship, now finds himself at Villa. All right, for the, for the defending champions, uh, it's Manchester City, of course, managed by Pep Guardiola, who nearly did it again. I, and I'm not here to, to try to act like, I know more than Guardiola. I don't. Guardiola is a genius in his own right. But his weakness is that he's a genius. And sometimes you just need to let your players get the job done. He tinkers too much. He moves this guy here. Here's where we go today with uh, here's where we go today with the inventions. And Guardiola wants to make this. Uh, it seems like he sits and sits up at night overthinking everything. This is becoming the criticism, and this is why Guardiola does not win the Champions League, because when the level of play is that close, when you're not by far, you know, one of the best two teams in the league, and you're not by far better than your opponent, these type of mistakes can hurt you. They hurt him against Real Madrid. They nearly cost him the title today. His tears at the final whistle had less to do about winning the championship in my opinion, and more to do about not letting it slip. It was Those were tears of relief on the eyes of one Pep Guardiola, who I'm going to say right here is a football genius, but sometimes that genius is to his own detriment. He's trying to do too much. He does it again. Here we go. Ederson and goal, but look what he does here at the back. Starts inventing. John Stones is playing as a wide right back. Why, you ask? So that he can make room for Fernandinho in the back too, in the center back pairing with with Americ Laporte. Yes, I know Ruben Diaz is injured again, but why change? Why lose two? Why move two of your normal starting center backs out of there when you only when when you can have just one missing? What I mean by that? 
when you move John Stones to the right, the, he's not going to help you much there. João Cancelo gets a start at the left. But why? João Cancelo is more than capable of playing on the right. How many times has he used Alexander Zinchenko at left back? You know, I was on the Pitches and Pints show a couple of weeks ago on BTV, on Better Than Dot Vegas, and I, I predicted that City were going to slip it up. And City should have slipped it up. City were saved by the fact that Liverpool dropped points against Tottenham a few weeks ago, or about 10 days ago. Otherwise, Pep would have bottled it again. And it's this kind of stuff. It's just this tinkering. There's no need for it. There's just no need to make unnecessary changes. I know people can criticize Zinchenko all you want, that he's not really a left back, but he has played there so many times at this point. But instead, you're playing a right back at left back and a center back at right back and a center mid at center back. Instead of just putting players where they're best and putting your best team on the pitch and letting them decide it. Sometimes, Pep, that's all you have to do is put your best 11 out there. Don't tinker with it. Just put them where they're good and let them do their thing. For 70 minutes, this city team passed the ball around, created little chances. Um, they they rarely, if at all, troubled Villa for, for much of this game, for much of the first hour at least. Uh, you got, again, now their midfield. You got Rodri starting as the center mid, which was a good decision there. Bernardo Silva on the left, Kevin De Bruyne on the right, and then up front, uh, Riyad Mahrez, Gabriel Jesus, and Phil Foden. Those are, those are the 22 starters in that match. And let me talk about that for just a minute here as, um, again, a lot of tinkering by Pep Guardiola, in my opinion. Uh, his hero today ended up being someone he had to bring in off the, off the bench. Someone he seems to not rely on as much as he should. Um, of course, I'm talking about Ike Ilke Gunagan. He comes in. He's the hero today. He saves the title for Manchester City. Uh, the starting lineups at Anfield, however, all right, you got Liverpool and you've got Wolves, and Wolves will start for Bruno Leish with Jose Sa in goal, uh, William Bolly, Connor Cody, and Totti Gomez in the back three. The wingbacks are are Johnny down the right and uh, Altnori down, Aitnori down the left. The three center backs, uh, uh, the three center midfielders, excuse me, anchored by Ruben Neves, João Moutinho to his left, uh, and Leander Dendonker to his right. Behind the two forwards, Pedro Neto and Raul Jimenez. Ed, um, things couldn't have started any better for Wolves. But before we get to that, Liverpool start in their 4 3 3. And this is what I like about Klopp. He puts the best team out there. Clearly, clearly Mo Salah was not, is not fit right now. He's not fully fit because he's coming in in a substitute role. We saw him get pulled early in the FA Cup final. We have not seen a lot of him since. And he wasn't in the starting 11 today, which tells me that he's not fully fit. Because if he's not going to start today, uh, that means you know he can't be 100% fit. And they're trying to, to get him across the finish line to the Champions League final next week. The four across the back, Trent Alexander-Arnold, another very good match for him down the right uh, as the right back. Joel Matip and Ibrahim Konate are the center back pairing. And Konate would, would, be, uh, would make another blunder here early. And um, his misjudgment really resulted in Wolves' early goal. Andrew Robertson is the left back. In midfield, Jordan Henderson, Nabi Keita, and Thiago Alcantara, the three attackers. Sadio Mane playing in the striker role. And again, I, I contend he is, along with Karim Benzema, for me, the two front runners for the Ballon d'Or, if they even if that even has any value anymore. But for the the popular selection or the people's choice, if you will, of world player of the year or best in the world. I think it's between Sadio Mane and Karim Benzema at this point. And um, Mane got it done again today. And um, this could have been even harder for Liverpool without him. To his right, he's got Diogo Jota. And to his left, Luis Diaz. Okay. So the first thing that happens in uh, the other two matches we're looking at, of course, are Leeds 
versus Brentford. And like I said, Burnley hosting Newcastle. But what happens first is Pedro Neto scoring Fort Wolves. It's it's off a, a play that went back to Jusessa. Jusessa dr drills a long one. This is two minutes in. And for some reason, Konate lets the ball hit the ground. It's like rule number one when you play at, even in midfield, not even as a back, but especially when you play across the back. The ball is coming in the air. You do not let it hit. For whatever reason, Konate misjudges it, okay? And then it leaves Matip in a bad situation because he's out of position, and he trusted Konate to get to it. Let's it drop. It bounces over everybody onto a run of Raul Jimenez. Jimenez with a lot, a very pacey player. The Mexican gets in behind, drives it across the face of goal for Pedro Neto and the Portuguese, the young Portuguese international, puts it in the goal very early. It's one nil to the visitors to Wolves before half of the people have even taken their seats. They're still buying their their beers, and they, it's already one nil. Word gets to the Itihad, of course, and it seems like City kind of take a, a seat back when that happens. It's almost like they said, oh, no, now we can't lose it. This is in our hands. And, and City, a lot of lateral and backward passing, especially early. Um, they had some chances, but but Villa really settled in. Villa really found their their groove in their, in their lines of play, okay? And... They managed to control the game without the ball, which is something that's very important when you're playing against a high-powered team like Manchester City. You got to be able to control the game and keep it in front of you. Villa did that to perfection for 70 minutes today. They just they were let down at the end by themselves. But that was the first play it was there. And before anything else had happened, I'm pretty sure uh the next thing to happen was Liverpool pulling level. It was Sadio Mane getting in. First, he had one called back for offside. And then on the second one, there wasn't going to be an offside. They got it. So Liverpool pull level 1-1. And shortly after that, we had a goal for Leeds United. That was called back. Um, at first, it looked like a good goal, but the, the VAR had to obviously take a look at it. And again, the most marginal of differences it was an absolutely marginal <laughs> amount of space. The Premier League doesn't give you the exact measurement, which I like, but it's it is a tiny bit offside. And the player who would have had that goal, of course, for for uh, Leeds United would have been Joe Gel uh, Gelhart. And um, then it is called back. Leeds thought they were in the lead, but you know what? They were picked up by that, and they were they gained some confidence even though the goal was called back. At the same time, that happened. The same exact time at Burnley, a penalty is called, and, and it is Newcastle United who have the opportunity to, to take the penalty. And this could be a severe blow to Burnley and a serious boost to Leeds United. And stepping up to take him was Callum Wilson. Callum Wilson steps up to take the penalty in the 20th minute. He scores. It is 1-0 to Newcastle United, and we move forward, okay? At this time, we also are hearing, we're seeing goals of a goal for Crystal Palace. Uh, Arsenal already up big at this one. West Ham had actually gone ahead in this one. It looked like they were going to jump Man United. But back to the games we're, we're focused on. We get into halftime. It's 1-1 to at, no, sorry. It's not 1-1. It's 1-1 it's, uh, it's at Anfield going into halftime. But at the Itihad, we get our first goal in the 37th minute, okay? And in the 37th minute, it is Matty Cash, okay? He gets on the end of a cross from Lucas Dinier, and he heads it home. And at the same time, because, again, I have both games on at the same time. And, of course, when you're watching this on stream – they're not streaming at the same speed. My my television's streaming in one place. My tablet's on another. My laptop's on another. My phone's at another. So I, I knew that Villa had scored before I had seen it because the Liverpool fans on my phone were already celebrating. Anfield was in a roar. Okay, Anfield had gone up in a roar, and it was the uplift that the Reds needed. It was the uplift. That I thought was going to carry the Reds across the line today. And I'll still, like I said, I'm going to believe 
forever, about today, that had Liverpool taking the lead while City were down, while their, their belief was shot, before Gundogan came in and literally put them back in this matchup, I think they might have taken the sword to City had they done that at that time. Timing ended up being everything. And today, I think that was the biggest difference in the end. When we look back at this league season, 20 years from now, when I do a Parking the Bus review show of the 2021-2022 Premier League season, I'm still going to say that had Liverpool taken the lead while City were down, they would have finished them. I truly believe that. Um, you could see the look in their faces and the face of the crowd. They had figured they were done. Liverpool hadn't even gone ahead yet. All right, so we go into halftime. Um, going in, Leeds would take the lead. I'm not. I'm going to double check this because uh, I am going off memory. Leeds would get a goal from not until the second half. So in the second, we'll go into the second half, and Leeds are first to take the lead. Okay, it is Rafinha from the penalty spot after a goal had been called back. Rafinha draws the penalty himself, taken down by the goalkeeper. The referee points to it. VAR confirms it. Rafinha steps up. He scores. Leeds can't believe it. They are staying up as it goes at that moment, okay? And Leeds have been fighting the drop for some time. Remember, they had Mar Marcelo Bielsa as their manager who took them, finally got them out of the championship, got them into the Premier League, and had a great first season with them. And then it all went downhill this year because I think he, I honestly think he just ran these players into the ground. His old school mentality of just work, 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 work. Lacks some science. I'm going to be honest. It lacks science. And today's players don't have the same durability. I, I'm not going to say they don't have the same durability. They don't have the same ignorance to play through injuries that players in the 90s and 2000, early 2000s. And definitely before that in the 80s and 70s did have. Okay. Uh, to play through injuries and to, and a lot of times, make it worse. Um, Marcelo Bielsa really beat this team up and having to be married to a system of play and a style of play and dropping points despite playing well, as they say, put Leeds in a bad situation. In comes Jesse Marsh, the American, after getting the sack prematurely, in my opinion, uh, sacked from RB Leipzig. And because um, I think if they'd stuck with him, I think he would have turned it around. I think he's a great manager. I think all of I'm a big fan of a lot of these Red Bull managers. I've said it before. Barbieri in, in Brazil. Jesse Marsh, who went through New York, uh, Salzburg, and Leipzig. Okay. Um, the new manager at My Benfica came through Red Bull as well. Roger Schmidt. Uh, you look at even Ralph Ragnick. You know, when you look at what he's, uh, what he's accomplished. Julian Nagelsmann came through the Red Bull program. I like the kind of managers they signed to their teams. And uh, Jesse Marsh is, is one of those. He he really is is a success story going from the United States to become an assistant. He he took a leap of faith when he became an assistant at RB Leipzig. Okay, learned German, learned German, managed or worked under Ulian Nagelsmann, one of my favorite managers, and then moved on to Austria using that that German he had learned. Won the league with uh, with RB Salzburg. Yes, they win it all the time. I get it. But doing a good job and then getting the promotion to Leipzig, to return to Leipzig and be the manager there, uh, it didn't work out. They pulled the plug kind of early. But he gets into this lead side. And I like the way he's taking the media on head on. He's taking on the criticism. He's responding to it. I think he's going to win these players over. He always does. I remember when he was the manager at New York Red Bulls, I was following the Red Bulls very closely. I watched every single match the Red Bulls played, virtually all of them under Jesse Marsh. His players buy in, and it looks like Leeds is buying in. I know at times it's hard. Um, an American has to work twice as hard. There's no question about it. They look at you, they hear your accent, and right away it's like, oh, a, a yank, here we go, a yank. What's he going to do here? What does he know about football? Well, Jesse Marsh knows a lot about football. And now he's got leads staying up. And here's why. Um, because <laughs> Newcastle would go ahead as well. Would, would add to their lead. Newcastle would get their second in uh, the 60th minute. 
And it would be Callum Wilson again, a man of the match performance for Callum Wilson. And it is a two nil to Newcastle. And you had to like, you had to like Leeds to stay up at that point. Meanwhile, going back to, to, to uh, the Itihad and we get it in the 69th minute. Philippe Coutinho scores, thinks he has given his former club the title for Aston Villa. Again, Manchester City shell-shocked. Uh, Pep Guardiola can't believe it. He doesn't know what to do at this point. He, You can see the look on his face. City supporters completely shell-shocked, unable to know what to do. And uh, it looks like it's going to happen. I really was believing, oh, my goodness, it's going to happen. All you need now is a goal, Liverpool. All you need is a goal before this giant called Manchester City wakes up. And I really think this is where Liverpool failed today. It's And it's very hard to do this with simultaneous matches going on. But your fans have told you what's going on. You know the urgency of the situation at that point. You know that if you grab this game by the horns and you take it to Wolverhampton Wanderers at this point and you break through and you get that go-ahead goal, you might get the title. And this is their big failure. They were unable to break the those two, those deep low-lying blocks down. Had a very hard time getting getting any type of really good opportunities. Uh, José Sac came out at halftime, by the way. I didn't even mention that. He was injured, the goalkeeper for Wolves. They had to make a goalkeeping change at the end. But just every every passing lane cut out in the final third. Every shot just blocked. So many blocked shots in this one. And the key substitution then at the Itihad would come here. And let me pull up the exact minute of it. It would be 68th minute. It was Ilke Gundogan coming on for Bernardo Silva. This is a this is a, a hail mary, if you will, a throwing it to the wall and seeing what sticks kind of change. Bernardo is one of the key players at Manchester City. Bernardo Silva is absolutely instrumental to the success of this team. But it's something had to change. And I think I'll give Pep the credit here. He knew he had to get more direct. He needed to get less technical and more direct if they were going to get back into this. It does not matter how you score. What matters is that you score. Especially on the final day of the league. Especially with the title on the line, it does not matter how it crosses the line. And in the 76th minute, so yeah, in the 76th minute, City and Pep Guardiola are rewarded for the, that faith in the Turkish international and Ilke Gundogan. And Gundogan scores on a header, on an assist from Raheem Sterling, another uh, substitute who entered in place of Riyad Mahrez in the 56th. And it's 2-1 to one now. And when that goes in, when that goal goes in, I said to my son, my boy Romero, you know, he's watching the game with me. We're both, I don't know if he knew daddy had money on, on Liverpool to win the league or not, because I'm not a Liverpool fan. I'm not a City fan, okay? Um, but I thought that's where this was going to go. And we were both rooting for Villa in this one. And, and I said to him, I, that's it. He goes, what do you mean? I said, City's going to come back and win this now. There's At that point, there was still 15 minutes to go. Liverpool had not taken the lead. And again, I'm saying, unless Liverpool can take the lead and take the fire out of this crowd, take the momentum and suck the air right out of the city, out of the Itihad Stadium with a goal right now, and City didn't give them that chance. And then credit to Manchester City here. Because in the 78th minute, it was Zinchenko, another substitute, someone I said should play from the start. He gets in, in, gets in behind, gets in the final third, draws the ball, and drives it backward along the ground, finds Rodri, and the Spaniard finds the back of the net just like that. Two minutes apart, it's 2-2. City have the lead. Now City are back in first place. City are in first place. They were in first place this entire time. They never dropped out of first place because even when they were losing – Liverpool had to go ahead to pass them. That never happened, and they would never look back. 2-2, two, two, two minutes later, 81st minute, and again, De Bruyne delivers a beautiful ball, and guess who at the back post, but Ilke Gundogan with the title-winning goal for Manchester City. He finds the back of the goal, 3-2 to City. Once you let City get ahead, you're not getting the ball back. Um, right around that time, 
is when Liverpool finally break the deadlock at at Anfield. And I got to hurry up because we still got to talk about Serie A. But it was in the 84th minute where Salah finally gets the goal. Salah didn't even know that City had pulled ahead. This is a really sad story. He was celebrating like crazy. Probably wondering why the fans were not going crazy. He's running over. He's so happy. And one of the, there's a picture on Twitter now. One of the fans has got a sad face and he's going like this. Saying it's 3-2. He's telling him City have taken the lead. But this goal it does give Salah the golden boot. Uh, Liverpool would add one more for good measure. In the 89th, it would be Andy Robertson. But too little, too late. Meanwhile, it gets interesting in the relegation battle because Leeds, um, Leeds draw level. Uh, Leeds fall, uh, I should say, Brentford draws level with Leeds. It's 1-1, and Burnley pull one back at about the same time. So Burnley won, Newcastle 2, Le Brentford 1, Leeds 1, going into the closing minutes, and that is nervy. And if you're Leeds and you've seen them hang in and then drop points late all season, especially here in this final stretch, if you're Jesse Marsh, you had to be going crazy. Your worst anxieties had to have been coming, you know, being realized internally. Because all it would take at that moment was one more goal from Burnley because Leeds had to have a better result than Burnley. Um, Burnley pushes for it, but it would be Leeds who find the winner in extra time. In, in Sorry, not in extra In stoppage time, it would be Harrison. It would be, sorry, it would be Jack Harrison in the 90th plus four to find the back of the net to put Leeds ahead. And to keep Leeds, Leeds United, in the Premier League where they belong, congratulations to Jesse Marsh. Job well done. This is not easy. There is not, probably nothing harder in football than to come into a team in the final stretch of the season, even if that final stretch is two, three months, and avoid relegation. Take a team that's struggling. Turn him around enough to avoid rele relegation. They brought him in early enough, fortunately, because the slide was happening. And they got him in there before they got into the relegation zone. And I think that buffer zone was just enough to keep Leeds United out of the championship and in the Premier League. Full-time at all stadiums right around the same time. Pitch invasion again at the Etihad. Okay, we see again uh, Villa's goalkeeper assaulted by supporters. There's, there's reports of it. Sky Sports has video of it. They've probably already identified the fan just like they did at Nottingham Forest this week. But it is Manchester City winning the champ the Premier League title for the second year in a row, fourth time in five years. So you have to give credit to Pep for that. Here is the final table. City, 93 points. They win the title. Liverpool finished second with 92 points. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that two teams over 90 points. Can you imagine 92 points and not winning the league? You tell somebody back circa 2008 that that wouldn't do it. I mean... This is fan this is an incredible season in the in the English Premier League, no question about it. Third place belongs to Chelsea, seventy four points, tw almost twenty points behind the leaders. Seventy one points for Tottenham has them in fourth and gives them the final Champions League spot. Arsenal sixty nine points in fifth. Manchester United sixth with fifty eight points. Europa League for those two clubs, and then West Ham United securing a second straight year of European football. Congratulations to the Hammers. 56 points. They're headed to the Europa Conference. Now, Leicester City just miss out. They're four back of, of West Ham with 52. Brighton and Wolves have 51. Newcastle's 11th with 49, but they were one of the best teams in the second half of the season. Uh, they were definitely top four in the, if you only counted the second half of the season. So be interesting to see where they are next season and how high up there they push and if they push for European places. I'm expecting them to. Uh, Crystal Palace, 12th, 48 points. Brentford, the last year's uh, first division or a championship playoff winners. Brentford, congratulations, 46 points. 13th place, very good first season in the Premier League. Aston Villa, 14th with 45 points. Southampton, 15th with 40. Now the team suggests avoid relegation. 16th place, Everton, 39 points. Congratulations to, France, to Frank Lampard. Leeds United, I talked about them, 38 points, three ahead. They end up three ahead of Burnley. 
And in the end, they will keep 17th place and stay in the Premier League. Burnley go down with 35 points. Watford with 23. And Norwich go down with 22 points. If you're a betting person, go get a future right now and pick Norwich to be promoted next season. Classic yo-yo club. They'll be back in the Premier League in two seasons. I don't doubt it for one second. All right. Like I said, um, the final goal-scoring tally, it is Hugh-Min Son and Mohamed Salah with 23 goals apiece. To share the golden boot, third place goes to Cristiano Ronaldo at the age of 37. Mohamed Salah had the most assists in the league with 13 goals. With 13 assists, excuse me. And let's see here. The the goal, the best goalkeeper. I'm going to try to find that here. Um, well, Fought Mob does, isn't making it easy to find that. But anyway, uh, let's get to Serie A because we're going to run out of time. All right. So it is four big games today, okay? The Serie A trickled out their final round. They didn't play it all at once the way the Premier League did. But they played all of the matches that matter that are in the same race at the same time. So we started out with the championship battle, the two Milan clubs taking place, okay? So at the San Siro, it is the defending champions, Inter, taking on, um, I guess I should I should read off the early results first. Spezia were beaten 3-0 at home early this morning, at least U.S. time, by Napoli 3-0. And then also, uh, then we have the four matches that I'm going to talk about here in these final, these final eight minutes or so. Uh, Sassuolo, would would host AC Milan and at the San Siro Inter would host Sampdoria. Let's look at the lineups really fast for the for Inter and Sampdoria. And we've got it here. The lineups starting with Sampdoria and their manager Marco Giampaolo. Emil Odero is the goalkeeper. It's a 4-1-4-1. And it is uh Berezinski, the right back. He's the captain. Maya Yoshida and Alex Ferrari are the center backs. Tommaso Augelio is the left back. Ronaldo Vieira, the, uh, well, now he is an English uh, youth international, born in Angola, um, former Benfica youth player, actually. Uh, he plays in the holding mid role. In front of him, uh, you have Antonio Candreva, Thomas Rincon, Morten Thorsby, and Abdelhamid Sab Sabiri behind the striker Francesco Caputo. For uh, Inter, Samir Handonovic is the goalkeeper for uh, for his manager, Simone Inzaghi. And you got Skriniar, uh, Devril, and Bastoni across the back. The wingbacks are Denzel Dumfries and Ivan Perisic. The three midfielders, Nicolo Barella, Marcelo Brozovic, and Hakan Kalhanglu. Behind the forwards, Joaquin Correa and Lautaro Martinez. Joaquin Correa would have two goals in this one. Uh, the other one going to Perisic. And we'll see if Perisic ends up at Juventus next year. That's one of the, the transfers to watch this offseason. But Inter would take care of business there. Uh, a 3-0 win. But it would all be for naught because in Sassuolo, AC Milan, the Rossaneri, take care of business and win their 19th Scudetto. And it was never in doubt. I mean, they had this thing won in the first half hour. Olivier Giroud with two goals in this one. Let's look at their, their starting 11. Sassuolo goes with Andrea Consigli in goal. Four across the back. Uh, Muldor, Ahan, uh, Ferrari, and Kriakopoulos are the four across the back. Ratesi, Lopez, and Mateus Enrique in the center of mid in midfield, the three central midfielders. Behind the very strong attack for Sassuolo, normally strong. Do Domenico Berardi, uh, Gianluca Scamacca, Scamacca, and Giacomo, uh, Giacomo Raspadori. For AC Milan, okay, and for their manager, Stefano Pioli, Mike Mike uh, Maignan is the goalkeeper. What a great career this guy is off to. Two, season, two historic seasons in a row for Mike. Last year, led Lille to their first title in... 11 years. This year, it leads Milan to their first title in 12 years. So, uh, Mike is in goalie. Davide Calabria is the captain on the day. Pierre Ka uh, Kalulu is in the center back with uh, Ficayo Tomori. And Teo Hernandez is the left back. Double pivot in midfield for Sandro Tonali. And for Frank Kessie. 
uh, in front of them, uh, three attacking midfielders, Alexis Salamakers down the right, Rade Krunic in the center, and Rafael Leo, one of the revelations of Serie A this season, one of the best players in Serie A. Can't wait to watch him play with these guys, with the national team. I'm pointing to the wrong. There we go. <laughs> pointing to the wrong, wrong side of the jersey I'm wearing if you're watching on YouTube or on, on Twitter. Um, Portugal International, Rafael Leo, he was huge in this one once again. Another very good rating. And, of course, the man of the match is Olivier Giroud, the French uh, veteran. Two goals, one in the 17th, one in the 32nd. And then Frank Kessier would, would add a third in the 36th. This one was never in question. Even though they're playing on the road at Sassuolo, all you saw was a sea of red and black. Stadium was packed. It was all Rossanetti fans. It was all Milanistas. And Milan never allowed their rival to think they were going to win this one. Again, a massive pitch invasion at the end. Good football played by AC Milan. I'm excited to see what they do next season. I'm excited to see if this is the start of a new dynasty. I'm excited. Serie A next season really excites me. Is Juventus going to get back in the fray? Are they going to make good signings in the offseason? Are they going to push their way back towards the title? I expect Milan and Inter to be there again. I'm expecting Roma and Lazio to get closer to the top, the top four as well. I think next year's Serie A season is going to be on fire. I cannot wait. But this year, it belongs to AC Milan. Congratulations, Rossaneri. You are il campione, the Scudetto winner, il campione d'Italia. You saw them engraving the trophy. Uh, fantastic, fantastic uh, trophy celebration and presentation after on the pitch in Sassuolo. Um, lastly, we go to the relegation battle. And the scenes are just fantastic. Again, you don't get this in North American sports because we don't have relegation. And it's a crime that there is no pro-rel in American sports because the reason I really can't get into American sports, whether in, and I try, okay, but I can't get the same emotional attachment about Major League Soccer or NWSL without this pro-rel battle, without this battle. Because the relegation battle is one of the key stories in any season. Instead, in North American sports, we re reward mediocrity with a first-round draft pick. And this is something that as soon as I came of age, as soon as I was old enough to think for myself and to start really critically thinking, which is something this world lacks, is critical thinking. And it's something I have worked very hard on in the previous 20 years of my life since I left, you know, established school since I left institutional learning and I started educating myself was the ability to to think critically and no critical thinker can believe that the system of rewarding last place with the best prospect for the next season is a good thing for the sport it's a good thing for for anything and uh, it leads to fans rooting for their teams to lose and to tank no this is how it goes Relegation battle. Salnerditana have been fantastic. I am running out of time, but I am gonna go as fast as I can. Salnerditana, this is their this is their form over the past five matches. Okay. Uh I look at them right now, and they only won one of their last five, actually. I thought they were they tied three and won one going into this one, okay? But they have still stolen points along the way, continuing to chip away and to work their way out of the relegation zone. Today was not their day. Udinese come into Salerno and somehow, some way, completely annihilate Salernitana at the Stadio Arecchi in Salerno. But... Across the country in Venice. Venezia was super motivated to play spoiler. Venezia defending like they were the ones fighting to stay up. They knew they were going down. L last place was already a foregone conclusion. Cagliari unable to find the back of the net. So despite losing 4-0 at home, at the end there's another pitch invasion. The flares were, were, were burning. The players were celebrating. It was an unimaginable scene, something a North American sports fan will never understand if he's, he or she is not a football fan. Salnerditana stay up this, despite losing, and what a scene. It's like winning a championship when you are the last team to be saved. 
Congratulations, Salernitana. Better luck next time, Cagliari. And uh, that sums up uh, Serie A this season. Real quickly, I will go through the table here as I have less than a minute before this, this cuts out. So here we go. Milan champions, 86 points. Inter second, 84. Napoli end up third, 79. And Juventus with the final. Champions League spot, 70 points. Lazio, 64 and fifth. Roma, 63 and sixth. Fiorentina steal a Europa Conference spot. There's another team you can call uh, a, a potential winner next year in the Europa uh, Conference. Atalanta, 59. Hellas Verona, Torino, Sassuolo, Udinese, Bologna, Empoli, Sampdoria, Spezia, and Sal Nerditana round out the rest of the field that's staying up. Cagliari, Genoa, and Venezia going down. That's all the time I've got. I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinu. Stay tuned to the PTB Media Network at PTB underscore media on Twitter. And I got more, more content coming your way. This is the Mr. signing off.